ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. The NBA postseason begins tonight. You're listening to ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas. ESPN Radio is on the ESPN app and on Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can always tweet to us at AmberW790 at HDouglas83. You can also join the conversation. We'll keep trying to get to some of your calls about whether LeBron's window is closed in terms of winning another championship. Give us a call, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. But LeBron is not playing in the postseason. So let's talk about some teams who actually are playing in the NBA postseason, which begins tonight with the play in tournament you have the Cavs taking on the Nets a 7 p.m. tip off and then the play-in games for the Western Conference begin with the eighth placed uh, Los Angeles Clippers taking on the seventh placed Minnesota Timberwolves that game will tip off at 9 30 p.m. tonight and so for all things Clippers we bring in Andrew Greif Los Angeles Times Clippers writer And Andrew, let's start with experience here because there's vastly different experience levels between these two teams. The Clippers being, of course, the far more experienced team than the Timberwolves. How much do you think that this matchup is going to be affected by experience tonight? Um, I'm not sure how much it is. Uh, Ty Lue kind of said as much. Um, We asked him that very question on Sunday night, and he's not a believer in that. He believes in just sort of like the breaks of the game as they happen that moment. And you know, the, the T-Wolves have Patrick Beverly on their side, you know, who's done the playoffs plenty of times in his career, obviously most recently with the Clippers. Um, you know, he's a guy who's going to coach up the Timberwolves. Uh, the Clippers know that. Uh, and, for, you know, frankly, I think that it really has to go back to momentum. I mean, the T-Wolves have had the best offense in the league really since January 1st. Um, and, you know, and I think that this is why it's fascinating because the Clippers have had one of the best defenses all year despite missing so many players um, throughout the year from Kawhi Leonard to Paul George and on and on. Um, so I, I really think that the matchups themselves kind of dictate what will happen tonight more so than sort of, uh, you know, Paul George playing in these moments before, et cetera. You mentioned defense. I want to know from the Clippers standpoint, um, who's going to guard Anthony Edwards, a young star, I think, who was emerging very, very well uh, in the NBA, a guy that can get buckets from right here in Georgia where I'm stationed at currently. Who is going to guard him, and do you think they have a chance of shutting him down tonight? Um, this is the, the luxury that Ty Lue has. He has about six or seven you know, long-armed wings who he can kind of deploy on anyone. So it's not going to be one person. It's never really been one person um, that they've ever tried to stop uh, you know, in terms of the defensive matchup since I've been around Ty. Uh, they really try to do the varied approach, and I think you'll see it with Cat. You'll see that. Uh, with uh, D'Angelo Russell. You'll see that with Anthony Edwards, certainly. Um, they're someone who, they're a team that believes in throwing a lot at a player, sort of making them make decisions, making them think, not letting them kind of make um, decisions on the fly. That's what they want offensive players to have to think, that extra beat, which will give them time to close the gap with their long arm and their length. Um, I, I do think that one of the more interesting matchups is the way they guard Cap, though, because in November, they used not center of Itza Zubats, who you might think, okay, seven-footer on seven-footer, but it was Nicholas Batum, a 6'8 veteran, and that was really a game where they decided, they kind of realized that 
Batum could guard big guys like Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. That was sort of like a proving ground matchup. And so I do think there's a lot of times when you're going to see uh, Zubats on somebody smaller and um, Batum kind of pushing, using his, his veteran experience and his guile to push Cat farther away from the basket than what you would like. Andrew Greif, Los Angeles Times Clippers writer, joining us here on ESPN Radio. Andrew, you mentioned the health of this team being problematic throughout the regular season. Paul George is back. Uh, He seems like he's back with a vengeance. We know Kawhi's not for this matchup, but outside of Kawhi, how healthy is this team? The only person um, who will not be sort of part of their regular rotation that they would have expected to is Luke Kennard. He's a reserve guard, the, you know, depending on which metric you look at, the best shooting three-pointer, three-point shooter in the NBA this season. He has a sore hamstring. He didn't even make the trip from Los Angeles. He's back there rehabbing to get ready for whatever next game it will be, whether it's hosting a playing game Friday night or a first-round series. They, didn't, they left him behind. I think what you're going to see from that is the potential for Ty Lue to either shorten his rotation to nine guys or he could bring in Amir Coffey, a Minnesota native, another one of those, you know, six eight, around six eight guys who's super long, um, really good spot up shooter, versatile defensively. They're going to need him too, uh, in maybe more so ways than they would Kennard, because offensive rebounding um, has been something that the Minnesota Timberwolves are, are quite good at, and it's something that the Clippers are really bad at allowing. Um, and I think if you can get some extra size to kind of crack back on guys crashing the glass, that could help them. Make no mistake, Luke Kennard will be missed because he's an offensive threat. Now, I want to talk to you about Terrence Mann and his growth. We've seen last year in the playoffs uh, what he can do once he's hot and when he's on. Do you think he can be a guy in the playoffs this year that can help this team move forward? Yeah, I, I do. And I think that although it will, it might be in a smaller role uh, because now they have Norm Powell, um, he and Paul George have looked really good in their limited minutes together um, since they've both come back from injuries. Uh, I do think that um, man's role is slightly back to what it was last year in terms of being more about slashing, getting to the hoop that way, and not having the ball in his hands as much. He's played a lot of point guard this year. He was basically their de facto point guard after the trade deadline um, and absolutely grew his game in that regard. Uh, the Clippers are very comfortable having the ball in his hands if need be. Um, getting to where his spots off the dribble was something you saw him get a lot better at the last couple of months. And I thought just in general, and, and like the plus minus bears this out, he was definitely one of the more consistent players the last two months of the regular season. So um, although his role, I think, is sort of smaller to start, um, this is the exact same thing he went through last year when the playoffs began, and look what happened. So uh, I don't think that he is sort of at all out of rhythm going into this postseason. Los Angeles Times Clippers writer Andrew Greif on ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas. So, Andrew, the, the Clippers, they finished the season winning six of their last seven in their head-to-head matchups with the Timberwolves this season. The Clips have dominated. How much of what happened during the regular season do you think matters when we're talking about a one-game play-in scenario? You know, I asked some people that this morning at shoot-around, and um, the one thing that makes you think it might matter is because, you know, the Timberwolves roster really has not changed all season. I mean, they went to the trade deadline, did basically nothing. Um, so in terms of like what you're pairing for, a lot of it is the same. D'Angelo Russell only played three games of the four of between the series. So that's going to be different. Um, excuse me, he, only, he missed three of the four games. So having him healthy in the lineup is, is going to be a different look than what the Clippers saw uh, earlier this year. Uh, but really, 
What the Clippers see is the same. Um, they're going to see a lot more confidence, clearly, on this team as it caught fire to end the year. Uh, I think the big difference is for Minnesota, you know, because now Robert Covington, former Timberwolf, uh, Norm Powell are enormous contributors to what the Clippers look like, and they were just not there when they, these four previous matchups happened. So uh, I, I think the defensive disruption that Robert Covington can bring and the free throws, um, the, the attempts that Norm Powell can generate, are you know could loom large over this game. Andrew, buckle buckle up your seatbelt for this next one. What's the feeling around the Clippers organization being the best team in LA in basketball this year? <laughs> I mean, they're you know Reggie Jackson um, after they beat the Lakers one one time one of the one of the four times they beat them this year. He said that he feels like the Lakers are the kind of um, the, I guess the brand of the city, I'm paraphrasing, but he felt like the Clippers are the heart of the city. It's not something that um, is talked about a whole lot because the Clippers try to stay under the radar. Um, but Jackson's comment really, I think, summed up how the Clippers truly feel about it, that they feel like they kind of keep their head down, go about their work, make no excuses, and they, uh, they've they come out on top. I think they're 32-8, and eight, I want to say, the last 40 games they've played the Lakers. It's, it's something close to that. I mean, they've just dominated that series. Um, and this year, you know, I think the rallying cry from the Lakers was like, you know, we just didn't have our guys. The Clippers have not had their guys either. Obviously, their season was able to stay on the rails. Uh, I think that's that's certainly a point of pride, uh, kind of as they go into what could be a first round series if they can win tonight. Yeah, the Clippers are in a position here to make the first round without their biggest superstar in Kawhi Leonard. I, I have to ask you then, Andrew. I mean, is there an opportunity here that we're going to see Kawhi in these playoffs? I mean, they haven't ruled them out you know, they, they, all, all along, all season. They have never ruled them out. Um, you've seen other teams, you know, say player X and player Y are out for the season. Clippers have never done that with Kawhi Leonard. You know, what he's doing with his recovery is always going to be um, kind of uh, made fuzzy, you know, because the Clippers want to keep that information close to the vest. Uh, but he is in month nine of his recovery post-surgery. That is about when you know people who do ACL recoveries and have done this stuff for years say that a lot of high-level athletes can expect to um, get back on the court or back on the field. You know that nine to twelve-month range. For some people, it takes longer. You know, is the incentive strong enough? Is is he healthy enough? We don't know. But the longer they stay in the playoffs, um, it does give him potentially more time to return. So the first order of business is get past the Timberwolves tonight. Again, Clippers, Timberwolves, 9.30 p.m. tip-off. Andrew Greif, Los Angeles Times Clippers writer. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. ESPN ranked the top 25 players under 25 in the NBA. We will react to that list next. This is ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas. ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. ESPN has come out with its NBA's top 25 under 25, Harry Douglas. And I want to get your thoughts on what they did with this list. Now, topping the list of players under 25 years old in the NBA is once again, Luka Doncic. And that's his third consecutive year of Luka topping this list. This though was the first time he wasn't unanimously the number one on this list. 
23 years old. He still has another season here before he ages out of this list. And his development is even better. I mean, if you pull his numbers, it's unbelievable what he continues to do here in his young career. I have zero problem with Luca topping this list, frankly. That's exactly who I thought was going to be on the top of this list. What say you, Harry Douglas? Well, uh, I got Luca as well. Luca's basically a walking triple-double. Right now, the man is averaging 28 points, 9 rebounds, and 8 assists. That is unbelievable heard of but he has a high basketball IQ the thing I love about Luca the most is that no one speeds Luca up he moves at his own pace and his game is so slow I tell people this all the time it reminds me of Tony Gonzalez because Tony Gonzalez was a great tight end the best tight end ever lived to play in the National Football League but everything Tony did never looked like it was in being fast paced Luca's the same way he's under control uh, he has the game under control. He's in. He's going at his own pace. He let nothing. Uh, nothing can rattle him. Now, the only thing I can say that Luca needs to work on is his little attitude. Come on, Luca. You can't be talking to the refs that way. You got to give the refs some breathing room. That's the only knock that I have on Luca's game because I believe if he fixed that, he would get any and every call that he wants playing in the NBA because he's that dang on good and he's must see TV. Uh, table the is Tony Gonzalez the best tight end in NFL history conversation for July, which is where we put the LeBron MJ conversation. So Devin, go ahead and jot those down so that we remember those when the uh, when who the, the when the sports the calendar hell? gets a little slower. Who in the hell is the best over Tony? <laughs> We're, don't don't you worry, Harry Douglas. We're gonna say we're putting that in the bank for a segment one Damn, day. We'll see. We'll find out. TBDD uh, on ESPN Radio. But sticking with this list, so I have no problem with Luca. To your point. Phenomenal and and completely dominant player. The next player on this list starts to confuse me a little bit because as great as I think Jason Tatum is sitting at second on this list, I do feel like this is a little bit prisoner of the moment. Tatum has taken a step here in the second half of the season, and he is playing lights out right now for the Boston Celtics. But what I don't understand is why Jason Tatum is higher than Jaw on this list. Like to me, Jaw Morant, who's sitting at third on this list, if I'm taking players under 25 years old, Harry, if you're a GM and I ask you, players under 25 years old, you can start a franchise with one. Are you going with Jaw Morant? Are you going with Jason Tatum? Who are you picking? You and I both know you're picking Jaw. Come on. No, I'm picking Jason Tatum, a guy who's 6'8 and one of the best one on one scores in the league today. I'm going with Jason Tatum. Really? That's who I'm going with. I, I, it, what is J- Jason Tatum? First of all, Jason Tatum it, it is, I feel like he's been in the league for 10 years. I was like shocked that he's still under 25 oh, no. because it feels like he's been out here for so long and he's been out here and that team has largely been underperforming for the Celtics. Now we'll see. I understand they're phenomenal here down the stretch. We'll see what happens here in the postseason, but it wouldn't be the first time that we saw the Celtics team not perform in the postseason like we thought they were going to coming off of a good regular season. For me, Jaw is just the most exciting young player in the league I think that that's what I'm doing with Jaw like to me Jaw is must watch television at only 22 years old in a very young early NBA career and already one that has taken leaps and bounds just from the short time he's been in the league so Jason Tatum has been to the playoffs four times yeah what has he done no I'm (laughs) he's he's bald I mean his first year he's at he's average 18 the second year 15 third year 25 um, uh, the fourth time, he averaged 30 in the playoffs. So, Amber, uh, he's been balling. He's been balling, Amber. Jason Tatum is a guy. I'm taking Jason Tatum over Ja. I understand Ja is must-see TV. 
and he's wiry. He can do a lot of exciting things on the basketball court. But you give me a pure one-on-one score at 6'8", I'm taking him all day long. At 6'8", to me, John Morant is like the next face of the NBA. And I, I just, I don't see Jason Tatum as the face of the NBA when we're talking about that kind of recognizability. And I think who some has, of it. Who has the body type to sustain over a longer period of time? Well, I, I mean, listen, John, ja, from what I've seen from him, first of all, he's one of only six players to average at Amber, least 27 points and six assists. He's boosting his shooting almost 35% type, from distance. Who has the body type to, to sustain the play? Okay, but I mean Over these dudes a long are period of time. These these dudes are young enough to be your sons. They've got some time left. I mean, what are we talking about over a long period of time here? I, I, I sure we could have the conversation in fifteen years. Maybe it's a different conversation. Uh, but I, I'm I'm just surprised that those two guys are listed at two and three, respectively, given we are splitting hairs here. Trey Young is sitting at four. I don't have any oh, problem my with goodness. that. Listen, Trey Young, the young man right now averaging 28, nine assists, has done it since he came in the league. I think his first year in the league, he's been in the league four years. His first year is the only year he averaged under 20, and that was 19 points. Trey Young last year taking the Atlanta Hawks to the Eastern Conference Finals, and if it wasn't for a step on his ankle, yes, I still believe it. I believe they would have beat the Milwaukee Bucks if his ankle wouldn't have got stepped on. I I believed it then. I believe it now. Trey Young is in full effect. I cannot wait to be in State Farm Arena to watch Ice Trey. Ice trade a game. I'm a big fan of Trey Young. If you wanted to move Trey Young above Jason Tatum, I might even understand that conversation on this list, but I'm not going to discount anything you just said. Anything you just said about Trey Young, a really young, exciting player. LaMelo Ball making an appearance here. Top five on this list. Are you surprised that LaMelo Ball rounds out the top five? Um, I think it's, they're doing a little bit by potential as well, because you see, uh, his all-around game. He has the size as well. And I want to give a shout-out to his father. Can I give a shout-out to his father for being right and a lot of people telling him he did it the wrong way with his kids? Uh, Mr. Ball, you did it the right way with your kids. Don't let nobody tell you how you raise your kids. Message to all y'all out there. So I want to give a shout-out to LeVar Ball as well. But I like LaMelo's game. I love his game. I love the excitement he brings to it. You see the alley hoops between the legs. So Montrez Harrell can dunk it. We've seen it all on sports in the last few days. I love that he can shoot the trifecta. Yes, I said trifecta. He can shoot the three ball. He can slash. Uh, he has the upside. Now, the, as time passes and he gets stronger, I think he's going to be even more dominant in the NBA in years to come. They have Zion Williamson on this list at seventh. Uh, I don't know what to do with Zion Williamson. I mean, I don't know how you make a list when you're not playing basketball ever. Um, They have Bam (laughs) Adebayo on this list at eighth. Uh, That is disrespectful to Bam, Bam who could win Defensive Player of the Year this year. Even though everyone's out here sleeping constantly on the Miami Heat. Just the disrespect here for one of the most versatile players in the entire league. He has anchored that Heat defense. He is phenomenal so that is the ESPN's 25 under 25 obviously a lot of guys that we didn't get an opportunity to get to go ahead and check that article out on the dot com but coming up next the Timberwolves have surprised many people this year with how they have performed can they make the postseason run we will ask our next guest this is ESPN radio ESPN radio 
just heard Christine Lisi tell you about the play-in games tonight. Cavs, Nets at 7 p.m. Clippers, Timberwolves at 9.30 p.m. We got the Clippers perspective on that matchup. So let's go ahead and get the Timberwolves perspective on that matchup here on ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas taking you up until 7 o'clock Eastern. Chris Hine, he is Minneapolis Star Tribune, Timberwolves writer. And Chris, let's start where I started when we were having this conversation on the Clippers side of things earlier in this show, where I was talking about the disparity in experience between these two teams. The Clippers are playoff tested. The Timberwolves haven't made the postseason since 2018. How much do you think that experience is going to factor into this, or is it not going to be a problem for the Wolves tonight? I think it's a big factor. I, I, I really do. I think, you know, you, with a playoff team, you kind of know how to navigate your emotions, right? And I think with the Timberwolves, they're going to be at home tonight. The crowds have been loud and energetic. There could be a lot of energy in the building within themselves. And I think part of, of being a good playoff team is navigating the emotions of the moment. And I think you could probably make a case that the Clippers, amidst this kind of raucous atmosphere that's going to happen, they've they've been there before. They've played multiple games like this uh, in, in the past, and in, in the recent past as well. For a lot of these Timberwolves players, this is their first taste of postseason basketball. So I, I think that it's at least a little bit of an edge for the Clippers for sure. I don't think you can discount it. Chris, let's talk about a guy that I call the Energizer Bunny because he keeps going and going and going. That's Pat Beverly. How much has he brought to this team, both on the court and in the locker room? He's been huge for them this year. Uh, I think a big reason why they are the seventh seed this year is because of Pat Beverly, because of the the attitude that he's brought, the, the challenges that he's brought to the locker room, uh, both as a team and individually. You know, earlier in the season uh, when they were struggling, he was the one that got them together, uh, kind of made them define their roles, and then they, and they started getting off to it. To uh, really got their season going about 13 games into the season. He's brought a defensive toughness to them that's been lacking in this organization for the last several years. You know, they went from having a a bottom three five defense in the league to uh, 13th this season. So I think he has a lot to do with that, about establishing that culture, that mindset. And he really is like a, you know, kind of a, an assistant coach out there on the floor, on the bench, uh, especially with a young team that, you know, again, is navigating these waters for the first time as a group. It's funny because Carl Anthony Towns was asked about Patrick Beverly. He said that he thought he was a pest before he was his teammate. Of course, now he loves him. I think Pat Beverly is one of those guys that you probably uh, don't like him so much until he's actually on your team. Then you love him a whole lot. So Chris Hine, Minneapolis Star Tribune, Timberwolves writer. So, so let me ask you then about Cat. Uh, he has said that he has experienced, you know, a, a new level of professional joy this season, Chris, but it hasn't been his best year statistically. What have you made about how Carl Anthony Towns is playing? What do you expect from him tonight? Yeah, so I think what's interesting about Towns and, and kind of the, the statistics, at least as it pertains to like his rebounding and things like that, the Timberwolves have changed up a lot of how they play defense compared to the past. They've, you know, they used to play a very drop heavy kind of scheme, uh, but this season they've played a, a more aggressive scheme where Towns is, is kind of hedging screens, kind of, you know, 
forming a high wall on screens, being very aggressive. So they've asked him to really play away from the basket a lot more. And, you know, if you notice, his rebounding numbers are down, but that's because he's done what they've asked him to do on defense. So when shots are going up and everything, Towns is sometimes on the perimeter. He's not down low grabbing rebounds. And the thing is, their, their defensive scheme, as I've said, it's worked for them this year. They made a significant improvement uh, in defensive efficiency this season. So I think it, it, it tells you a little bit about, maybe a little bit about how selfless uh, Towns has been this season, uh, that he's done what the coaching staff has asked him to do on the defensive end at the cost of some individual statistics for himself. And, you know, and that and that's a lot. That, that in the NBA, when your next contract can be worth more based on all NBA appearances, and voters sometimes look at just statistics when they're voting for things like that, that tells you a lot about what he's willing to to try and give up or or try and show how much winning matters to him right now at this point in his career. This time of year, I think it's important for teams to have a one-two punch. The Minnesota Timberwolves have that in Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards. I think Anthony Edwards in this game is going to be the most important piece. What should he do tonight to have success, and how vital is it to the Timberwolves getting a win? I think for him, you know, this is what I mean when I say navigating the emotion of the moment. Here's a guy, second year in the league, first taste of postseason play, uh, yeah, he could be really amped up coming into a game like this. He could try to force things. He could try to, you know, maybe his shot is a little bit off because of all the energy he might have. I think for Anthony Edwards, it's going to be important to just stay within the moment of the game. Don't try to get, uh, don't try to do anything too big. If the Clippers come blitzing you, which a lot of teams have done the second half of the season with him in terms of double teaming and, and different coverages, don't try to force anything. Just make the right play. Rely on your teammates. And don't try to force any drives. Don't try to force any shots because that's how you'll get into trouble. So I think it's just important for him to just stay within himself, stay within the moment, and not try to do too much tonight. Chris Hine, Minneapolis Star Tribune, Timberwolves writer, joining us here on ESPN Radio. So, Chris, this is kind of an interesting matchup because the Clippers were pretty bad on the road this season. Uh, They did beat the Timberwolves on the road, though, both times that they played them at Target Center. While the Wolves have played well at home during the regular season other than (laughs) against the Clippers. How much do you think the Wolves having home court here is going to matter? It's going to help them a lot. I think, again, young team, going to, the, the energy in the building is going to be tremendous tonight. I think that's, that adds a little something to them. Um, you know, the Timberwolves have the benefit of being one of the few teams that has had a lot of experience this season when Paul George has played for the Clippers because they've lost to them all three, all three losses that they had to the Clippers came when Paul George was healthy early in the season and still playing. So I think in, in some ways that's, that's a psychological disadvantage because you still haven't beaten them when Paul George has been playing, but also it's a bit of an advantage because you've got plenty of film as to what the Clippers are trying to do when Paul George is in the lineup and healthy with them. So I think the fact that this is at home is, is huge for them just for their confidence, uh, you know, they've been able to late in the season here get a little healthy rest, guys. The last few days, they haven't had to 
come on or board an airplane, uh, you know, and go from city to city. So I think they've been able to just kind of settle in, sleep in their own bed, get a few practices in, and you know, they're in their home gym. They're familiar with everything. So, like, I think it's worth a little something for them tonight. Clippers, Timberwolves, a 9.30 p.m. tip-off in that play-in scenario there in the Western Conference. Chris Hines, Minneapolis Star Tribune, Timberwolves writer. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Anytime. Thank you. That was the Progressive NBA Snapshot brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and at Progressive.com. Coming up next, are we sure that Bill Belichick can be successful without Tom Brady? Man, if that isn't a hacky uh, sports radio conversation, I don't know what is. We will do that next with Harry Douglas. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Douglas, Cam Newton said the thing. He has stepped in it, this Cam Newton. And he stepped in it, frankly, in a big way this time. He has said the thing. On a podcast recently, the 32-year-old free agent quarterback on million dollars worth of game, he said... On his thoughts on women, apparently, uh, quote, now a woman for me is handling your own, but knowing how to cater to a man's needs, right? He said on the podcast, he went on to say, and I think a lot of the times when you get that aesthetic of like, I'm a boss B, I'm leaving out the, you know, uh, I'm this, I'm that, no baby, but you can't cook. You don't know when (laughs) to be quiet, you don't know how to allow a man to lead. This Harry Douglas has rubbed one Amber Wilson the wrong way because let me tell you, um, as somebody who sits here and talks for a living, being quiet is not really something Mm. that any man can tell me to do. No damn mutes. And cooking is something that, listen, it would, it would be nice if, if we all cooked and, and catered for each other, right? I would just prefer that, uh, you know, somebody else is doing the cooking for me. This is, this is crazy. Uh, it's 2020, uh, Cam. It's not 1950. No, it's like, what are we doing? Amber. Oh, it's yeah, it's 2022. Why, why did I say it was 2022? You know, it's because I, it's the 2020s is what I meant. Yes, thank you. I, I am off my game because I am so uh, just shocked by these comments here from but, but Cam think, Newton. But things are different for every household, right? Like what, what may work for him might not work for the next person. It's probably definitely don't work for the next person and the person after that and the person after that. See, we... So so many times I hear men say, yeah, I want my woman to just be home and cooking and just be quiet. Well, no, 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 no. Times have changed, right? They can still do all those things, cook, but they can work, right? They can open their mouths and, and say things that they believe in. We, we're not going to shush people. So I, I don't think he went about so it the right way. challenged. Like, you can't handle a woman who speaks. Like, what kind of man are you? How is that yeah. a real man? You need a woman to cater Ooh. to all of your needs. What kind of man are you? How is that Ooh. a real man? Like, what Talk are we him, doing Amber. in 2022? A real man, Harry Douglas. Mm. It is a symbiotic relationship with a real man, right? A real Ooh. man wants a woman who has her own opinions. Huh. He wants a woman who sits here on Sports Talk Radio and huh. talks next about how Bill Belichick hasn't shown us whether he can do it without Tom Brady or not. That's what a real man wants, not Cam Newton, who apparently wants us all to be quiet. I don't know what Cam Newton's doing. 
yes, it, it's it's uh i'm guessing something he's going to have to walk back espn radio Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at AmberW790 at HDouglas83. You can also always join the conversation at 888-SAY-ESPN. Now, Coach K, uh, you know, one of the greatest to ever do it. Harry, he's on his way out. And on his way out, he took the time to praise Bill Belichick. And Belichick's dedication, his curiosity about the game, Coach K mentioned how adaptive Bill Belichick is. And obviously, a conversation about how adaptive these coaches are. When you talk about Coach K, is a really appropriate one because one of the things that's remarkable about coaching college basketball for over 40 years is that you're doing that across a variety of generations and every generation is different in the mindsets and how you relate to kids and for coach K to be able to do that and still relate to all these kids and get the best out of these kids reach these kids decade after decade after decade that is a phenomenal feat and I don't think that we could overstate that enough but I think he's missed the mark when it comes to Bill Belichick a little bit because he's he's talking about how malleable Bill Belichick is, and and nobody questions Belichick's dedication to the game, and obviously he's a great, great coach. I frankly don't know how malleable he is, though, because I've seen all the success come with one quarterback who is also the greatest, and I think a lot will be told here in terms of how malleable he is with how successful he is in the post-Tom Brady era. Can he get the most out of Mac Jones or the next guy? How does he relate to these guys after the Tom Brady era? I mean, it's kind of like the old, is it Brady or is it Belichick conversation? But it's a different way of having that conversation, Harry, because we're talking about how malleable you are as a coach. And, man, Bill's having to be that now. So what I can say is that I understand that he was on the Bill Parcells when he was with the Giants, but – he did win two Super Bowls while there as a defensive coordinator. Now, granted, he did have Lawrence Taylor, who I think is the greatest defensive player to ever play the game of football in the National Football League. Um, I'm on the mixed side of this because I know a lot of guys who play for Bill Belichick and a lot of guys who play for Tom Brady. If uh, I asked, uh, interviewed on my, on, my, um, on my show, my podcast, The HD Connection, Asante Samuel, and he said – that it was Tom Brady. Things ran through Tom Brady and the way Tom loved things. Um, he didn't give it to Bill Belichick. But when I talked to the McCordy twins and um, a guy like Dion Branch, they said Bill Belichick play, played a part in it. And I remember I asked one question to Dion. I was like, how does Tom make people around him better? And he said, it doesn't necessarily he makes you better. It's that he is great in everything that he does and Play, pays uh, close attention to detail that he elevates you and makes you want to up your game and step your game up. Uh, McCourty twins speak very highly of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. So I know a lot of people, they, they have that, is it Tom Brady? Is it Bill Belichick? Listen, all great coaches would be the first to tell you, for them to be great, you got to have great players. <laughs> if you don't have great players, you don't stand a chance. You're going to be... Uh, getting job after job after job, and then you probably won't even have a job because the players that you have aren't good. But at the same time, these players need great coaching, right? We talk about that, a guy like Phil Jackson. Yes, the talent was there. Being able to do it with a Michael Jordan and a Scottie Pippen and a Kobe and a Shaq, right? 
Because I'll say this, you can have great players, but if you don't have the right coaching with them, who says they're going to win a championship? So I think the two go hand in hand uh, with one another. But we do know Bill Belichick, there are people who doesn't, they don't pan out when they leave New England. And it's mm-hmm. a reason for that, right? It's that system and the way Bill Belichick teaches and, and, and whatnot. And I love the fact that he's hands-on with his teaching and he holds everyone accountable. Right, that's the thing right there that I'm big on, holding everyone accountable from a guy like Tom Brady to the last guy on the roster, to the 53rd man on the roster. Everyone's going to be accountable. And I love that about Bill. Uh, but the first year without Tom Brady, they didn't make the playoffs. They made the playoffs last year. I just don't know what's going to happen because the AFC is so doggone tough. And I said on first take that I didn't think Bill Belichick was going to win another championship because it's not like, the AFC East is getting any easier, right? The Dolphins beat them twice last year. A lot of people are forgetting that. The Dolphins just got better. The team they I lost to twice last that. year. I wasn't the, forgetting that. The, listen, the Dolphins beat them twice last year. They just got better. The Buffalo Bills are the favorite to win the Super Bowl next year. Right. Not to mention the AFC West. Not to mention the AFC North. Just the AFC generally. Period. I mean, that conference is is ridiculous now. I, I'm not saying that Bill Belichick is, is, you know, not one of the greatest coaches of all time because I think we all we all know that he is. I just think when we're talking about how malleable somebody is as a coach, which was Coach K's point, and his direct quote is, you know, people will say to him, he was addressing how people talk to him about doing the same job. He says, you've been doing the same the, this the same way, the same job. And he said, it's not the same job. I'm adapting. It's exciting. I'm 75. That happened with USA basketball later in my life. And I wanted to use what I learned. That's what I see in Bill from afar. I really admire him and I like him because really it's not about him. It's about them, the players. There's nobody who has built a better culture in pro sports than Bill Belichick. And I, you know, I think from when we're talking about college coaches being malleable, Harry, I think it's so impressive because you're reaching kids. I, I don't know if it's the same conversation with rolling through the times from on the professional front, but I do think right now is Bill Belichick's probably most difficult coaching challenge is right now. The era after Tom Brady, the era with a Mac Jones, like this is the most difficult. Well, especially the game is changing. The young men that's coming in are changing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day, you'll say, you tell a, a guy to do something, they just do it. Nowadays, you got to explain why. You got to go the ins and outs that route, right? So your mindset has to be different when you're approaching these young players. Coming up next, we go back to the mess that is the Los Angeles Lakers. We'll discuss that. This is ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas. We tackle the coaching front of the Los Angeles Lakers. Who is the most prospective coach coming up? We're hearing all sorts of rumors with the Lakers. Also, we might get to more of your phone calls here. Is LeBron's championship window closed? Give us a call, Triple Eight, say ESPN.